morning, everybody. Thanks for joining me here on the Game Day Walkthrough on a special guest episode this week. I'm Mike Vaught, your host. Hope you had a great weekend. But let me remind you, Monday's Game Day, the start of another week. So let's get started with a great mindset. I have a special treat for you today. It's our very first guest. I'm glad you tuned in to listen. And this man you have seen on TV covering college football, basketball, NASCAR, IndyCar racing, and a lot of other things over the past 30 years. But there may be one thing you may not know about him. He's an actual medical doctor. And I might add, he's one of the best people on the face of this planet. Let's welcome to the podcast, Dr. Jerry Punch. Welcome, Doc. Hey, thank you, Mike. Good to be with you. Uh, uh, so kind of you to say those nice things. Uh, you know, I feel the same way about you. I, we go way back to your early coaching years when you were a college football coach and an offensive coordinator, recruiting guy, and, and then uh, went on to become an athletic director and then eventually into private business and uh, all those levels of success. Uh, uh, it's great to be, be around you at times and see the people you've worked with, the players you've coached, especially at the Naval Academy who come back and now are serving our great country and want to come back and give you a hug for all the things you did for them. But uh, it's great to be on, great to be on game day walkthrough. Uh, our family, we start, since you started doing this, we start our week uh, with this uh, with this message every Monday and love hearing the stories you have and the inspiring things you have to say, having been a coach and having been a leader uh, in so many different ways. Well, I know you have a busy schedule and I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. And we've been talking the past few weeks about being a winner. And I know you've interviewed presidents of the United States You've interviewed highly successful athletes, race car drivers, coaches. So I'm going to kind of put you on the spot. Tell us about two or three people that come to mind that in your mind are great examples of being a winner. Wow. Boy, that's uh, that I've, I've been blessed in my life to be around some incredible people, uh, legends in, in sports and athletes, as you mentioned, coaches. Uh, um, you know, one of my one of my closer friends uh, growing up, uh, was a guy named Dale Earnhardt Sr., and we grew up in the short tracks uh, running around Carolinas, and neither one of us had a dime. Uh, we were trying to make ends meet, and I had torn jeans and a bushy mustache and longer hair and dirty fingernails, and so did he. And uh, we'd meet at different racetracks, and um, and uh, he was racing. And, and, I, I, and the difference was is that when I got out of high school, um, I got a chance to go to college and walk on and try to play a little football, and then I'd go to medical school. And the big joke later on, we stayed close, stayed together, I mean, even though he was continuing his incredible success uh, as a driver. And later on, when I got out of school and residency and went back to broadcasting and was so I could be around him more, his big joke was, all you did is go off and become a doctor. I became a champion. <laughs> so uh, uh, we, we laughed about that. But um, over the years doing broadcasting, our friendship grew closer and closer. And, um, and what I used to do during the fall, you know, I would do college football on Thursday night, primetime, and then I'd do the NASCAR race on the weekend. So I'd fly red-eye back on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And on weekends, I didn't have a NASCAR race. I would do a Thursday night game, football game, and a Saturday night game. Well, the season was over one year. 1993, the season was over. And it was Thanksgiving weekend, and I was in Texas to do the Texas-Texas A&M rivalry game on Thanksgiving night uh, on ESPN. And uh, Dale, I'm not sure if he was at home or he walked in somewhere and saw me on a television screen and knew that I was in Texas. So he picks up the phone. He calls my wife, Joni, at our home up in the mountains of North Carolina. Now, he realizes that it's snowing sideways, blizzard conditions in the mountains. And he calls her, and he says, hey, did Doc take the four-wheel drive to go to the airport? I see he's doing a ball game in Texas. She said, yeah, he's, he's in Texas, uh, Dale. He said, well, you're getting ready to have that baby. You're 
pregnant up there and you don't need to be up there getting ready to have that youngin with no way to get around in the snow. He said, I got a guy I'm going to send up there with a four wheel drive truck. that's going to hang out in the basement till doc gets back tomorrow or the next day. And he'll drive you in where you got to go. So if you have a medical problem, he can, he can take care of it. He, you got somewhere to go. And she said, no, no, no deal. Look, I'm only four months pregnant or what I'll be fine. I'm doing well. Uh, it's too dangerous to come up here on top of the mountain now with all this snow. And uh, so finally she convinced Dale that she'd be okay. But if anything happened, she'd call him and he said, I'll come up there, you know, whatever. Anyway, uh, so that's just the kind of kind of guy he was. On top of all the things he had going on in his life, being a champion and running his business and stuff, you know, he cared about his friends, uh, you know, so much. And, 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 and he was, uh, but the, the irony here, it just a few months ago, my daughter, Jessie, who was the, our, our baby that my wife was carrying at the time, and I, she works for NASCAR. We were at the NASCAR uh, uh, Hall of Fame induction ceremony in Charlotte. And after the ceremony, we came out in the lobby, and a gentleman walks up to her and says to us and says, hey, Doc, he said, is this the little girl your wife was pregnant with, uh, you know, 22 years ago? And I said, yeah. He said, well, you may not remember this, but I'm a longtime employee for Dale, Dale Sr. And I was the guy that he called was going to drive up there that night with a four-wheel drive and, and stay in your wife's house, in your house, until you got back. And I said, really? And he looked over and said, sweetie, said, uh, you know, I was, I, I, I was going to come up and take care of you before you were even born. And she starts laughing and she gives him a big hug, says, thank you for looking after my mommy and me. And uh, so the irony is here, 23 years later, um, this guy comes up just out of the clear blue and says, I'm the guy that Dale called about maybe coming up there that night. And this goes to show you that people like Dale Earnhardt, where he was known as the intimidator and not giving an inch, you know, he was a take no prisoners kind of guy on the racetrack, off the track. He did so much for so many people and didn't really want to be known as a nice guy. But if he was your friend, he was devoted to you and would do anything he could to make, to make your life easier. So uh, that's one of my favorite memories of a guy who was a winner, you know, beyond, beyond all the odds, a seven-time NASCAR champion, and yet away from the track, he had a heart of gold. Man, that, that story gives me goosebumps. And who would have thought 22 years later you'd run into that guy at a banquet? That's absolutely an amazing story. Um, now, I know you've been around a lot of great football coaches. Uh, do you have a football coach? We've got a lot of football fans that listen to the podcast. Any stories about any football coaches that come to mind? Oh, gosh, there's so many modern-day stories of current coaches. And, uh, and it might maybe be better because some of them are still current in coaching um, that I, that I stay away from some of those, I, you know, one, one that comes to mind was a coach at Ole Miss many years ago named Billy Brewer. He actually played at Ole Miss and he coached there from 1983 to 1993. In fact, I think he took them to five bowl games in 10 years, 10 years he was there. Um, and they had a couple of nine and two, nine and three seasons, um, which was pretty good in the SEC back then for, for Ole Miss. Uh, they won a Gator Bowl, won a Liberty Bowl, but, uh, Billy Brewer always liked to be able to teach his players things away from football, you know, and, and he felt like that he could teach them to block and tackle and run and catch passes and, and, uh, and, and kick. But it was what that football was only going to serve them from a few years in college. He wanted them to understand uh, the big picture, what he called perspective. And so one year, one year Ole Miss was playing, going to play in the Liberty Bowl, and uh, they were, the team was up there traveling. Uh, in the in the Memphis area on the on the days before the Liberty Bowl, right before Christmas, and Billy Brewer said, "We need to. I want our players to understand what life is about, and that life isn't about just big big nice hotels and banquets. That it's really a struggle at times if you don't get your education, and if you don't, and if life turns sour, you, you suddenly can 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 be out on the streets. 
So Billy took his own money and went to and bought, a, I don't know how many frozen turkeys. Uh, and he took his team and brought them into the team meeting room and divided them up in five groups. He said, okay, uh, we're going to take, you guys are individually, each group is going to take these frozen turkeys and you're going to deliver them to homeless shelters and the children's homes and other homes in the area so these people can have Thanksgiving lunch, have Thanksgiving dinner. He said, I want you to walk in. I want you just to walk in and hand the turkey. I want you to interact with these people. I want you to talk to them, hear their story, sit down, tell them who you are. You played for Ole Miss. You're here for the bowl game, but you weren't, you're thinking about them. And I want you to hear their story. And so they did that. And rather than just sitting around the hotel room one day, his players got to go to homeless shelters and children's homes and interact and deliver frozen turkeys that people would have be guaranteed to have a Christmas turkey dinner. Uh, and I thought that story always touched me because Billy Brewer was going beyond just college football. He was trying to give his players an idea of what life was about and, and true perspective, you know, from a man who understood how, how tough things could be. Yeah, I remember Coach Brewer. We, we uh, played against those guys when I was uh... – a young football coach at one of the opposing schools, and he did a fantastic job for that program. But that just kind of shows to the listeners and kind of opens your eyes to you see all these guys on TV, you see these athletes on TV, and you, you have an impression in your mind of what they're all about. But once you actually get to know them and meet them, they're regular people, and they normally have a cause, and, and he had a great cause and a great mission to help those young men right there. That's a great story, Jerry. Uh, yep. Any more football fun. stories? Yeah, he's actually his son still coaches today. I think Gunner, his son, is a wide receiver coach at Louisville. Uh, and I've seen Gunner, uh, you know, he coaches for Scott Satterfield at Louisville. I saw them at a bowl game last year. So, I mean, it, it's, it's following in his, his father's footsteps. You know, one other story that comes to mind, Mike, is is uh, a story that involves – it sort of involves uh, two, two pretty good football coaches that are coaching today. Nick Saban uh, at the time was at LSU. It was his final game at LSU. He was in the, uh, uh, the Capital One Bowl. Uh, the Citrus Bowl there in Orlando, and Kirk Ferentz, who's still at Iowa, uh, and it was Iowa-LSU, and it was going to be Nick Saban's last game at LSU because he was leaving the next day to go coach the Miami Dolphins. And I remember uh, doing that game in Orlando. Uh, the, the University of Iowa, the Hawkeyes, were supposed to fly out of Iowa uh, on the 26th of December, and then the game was going to be on, on the 1st. Well, because of an impending snowstorm or blizzard, Kirk Ferentz said, look, I, even though I want to give you guys Christmas at home and with your families, we need to all be back here on the 23rd because we got to get on this plane and get out of here. So they flew to Orlando on the morning of the 24th. Well, suddenly this hotel in Orlando has got to, has a challenge of feeding an entire football team on Christmas Eve. So they're calling in all these people. They try to call in people who didn't have families, people who worked and, and, and could help out serving in the banquet area. So they called all these people in on Christmas Eve, which some people weren't real happy. Uh, but they're serving the football team. They're the Iowa football team. And it was one gentleman, and I'm not sure of his age. I was told he was in his early to mid-50s. And he was grumbly and, you know, grouchy, and, and he was called in to work. And he's serving the Iowa team in this big banquet room when he collapses and has a heart attack. And he collapses right beside the table where the Iowa team physicians were sitting. Well, they go to work on him, um, and they're yelling for help. They said, we have an emergency in the banquet room. And if someone picks up the phone there in the banquet room and calls downstairs, we have an emergency in the banquet room. And all suddenly, here, all these people come running in with mops and buckets. No, 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 not a banquet emergency. We have a medical emergency, <laughs> so they have to they have to get an ambulance there. So, the, but the doctors continue to work for a long time on this guy, you know, doing CPR and resuscitative efforts because he couldn't have fallen at a better spot right there beside their table. We ends up going to the hospital, and I'm not sure if he. I think he had bypass surgery. He might have had. It might have been angioplasty, but whatever. He ends up surviving that night. 
and, and was able to be up, up and alert. And we told the story during the game uh, on New Year's Day that he was in the hospital watching the game. And obviously, if it wasn't for Iowa and their team physicians, he wouldn't be there. And as fate would have it, you know, that game came down in the final seconds and Iowa trailed 25-24. Uh, uh, and and um, and I'm standing beside Nick Saban, getting ready to interview him for his last game, his last win, you know, in the bowl game prior to leaving for the Dolphins. And sure enough, Iowa, Drew Tate from Iowa throws a 56-yard pass to Warren Holiday as time expired. And somehow the LSU defensive back stood flat-footed, and the guys runs right by and catches it in the end zone. And Iowa wins the game 30-25 with as the time expired. And I look at Nick Saban and sort of shrug. He looks at me and shrugged. And, I wish him well, and I run across to interview, uh, you know, interview uh, Kirk Ferentz. But to think about that game, it came down in the final seconds. Some, a miracle had to happen with a 56-yard touchdown pass in the final seconds for Iowa to win. And a miracle had happened four days before that or five days before that when this guy, who would have been at home had he not been called in by Iowa, had there not been a snowstorm in Iowa and the team came two days early, this guy who lived alone would have been home and could have collapsed in his house and had a heart attack, and no one would have been there to save him. So, you know, if you think about what happens, everything happens for a reason, and a higher power that went to work there. And I firmly believe in my faith that that was a higher power working. Iowa getting there early, this guy collapsing right by the doctors, uh, them saving him, and obviously in the bowl game, you know, it, that, that's, that's football. Those, those kind of things happen. But I think that it, for the players on that football team, and for both teams, as a matter of fact, who heard that story, I think it makes you. It really helps your belief in knowing that that things are things are out of our control and in the control of a higher power. And I think there's somewhere in Orlando there's a man alive today because of that higher power and and the faith that that those people had and, and their efforts that night. You know, in in Orlando. Well, that's a great story and such a great message for this time that we're living in right now. Now I want to I'm going to put you on the spot here because I know you don't talk about yourself, but there's another story that I remember. Um, that I actually saw uh, on TV before I actually knew you. Um, tell everybody about the Rusty Wallace story and how that unfolded. And, and some of our people may be too young to remember that, but I just think it's a, an intriguing story and another example of being in the right place at the right time and that God's got a plan for your life. Wow. Yeah, Mike, uh, uh, we, were, we were in Bristol at Bristol Motor Speedway. Uh, and um, and I was there for ESPN. I worked during the week as an ER physician uh, in, and uh, ran the emergency room there in, in Florida. But um, on uh, on this, it was an af- it was an afternoon the day before the race, and it was the night they were having the Bush Series race, or later became a nationwide now the Xfinity Series. And the NASCAR Cup cars were practicing, and there was only two cars on the track practicing: it was Dale Earnhardt and Rusty Wallace. And Rusty comes out of Turn Four at Bristol, and he uh, the ball joint rubbed a tire. He, he was he was pushing the car so hard, typical Rusty. He was driving it so hard when he turned left in the corner. Uh, there was so much G-force. The ball joint cut the tire in half. The car went up across the racetrack. Back then, there was no complete bowl of grandstands around Bristol. There was a, just a, 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 a front stretch grandstands. And he hits the edge of the front stretch grandstands where the wall and grandstands connected. And it launched the car in the air, spiraling upward, nose first. Looked like a punt. Looked like a football spiraling. But it was a Pontiac. And so it spiraled in the air, came down. Now I'm standing in, uh, just inside of pit road interviewing an, another driver for the race that night, Rick Mast. Uh, and so 
I look suddenly it gets quiet and Rick and I look up and he points and there's Rusty Wallace's Pontiac spiraling in the air like a pun. I don't know how high it went, probably three or four stories, and it lands on its nose and begins to roll. And people can pull up YouTube and watch the video of this car barrel rolling. You know, it's a short track, but it's rolling side to side, and it comes to rest with the front of the car up on the pit wall. The roof of the car is caved in. There's smoke and steam everywhere, and I'm only 20 feet away. So I run over there, and uh, the front, the roof of the car, I said, is mashed down. The window net's mashed down, so I can't get it open. And I can see Rusty's helmet. It's an open-face helmet, thankfully, and he was slumped forward against the steering wheel, and there was a trickle of blood out of both sides of his mouth. He wasn't breathing. I could see his uniform wasn't moving. He wasn't breathing. And so Earnhardt slides his car to a stop. He's trying to get in the passenger side and, and can't climb in because the roof is pushed down. He says, what do we do? What do we do? I said, we got to get this roof off, Dale. He's screaming to NASCAR officials that are running over there with a saw. I, I take my fingers through the window net and push as hard as I can, and I pull Rusty's jaw forward trying to get any kind of an airway. And as I pull it forward, I see a little bit of a move on his chest, like, okay, I must have cleared the airway enough for him to be able to move. Um, and in the meanwhile, uh, there's a guy named Dick Beatty, uh, who was NASCAR's series director at the time. He holds his Winston hat over my face so I don't get burned while I'm holding Rusty's chin forward through the, through the bent down window. Uh, and they're trying to saw the roof of the car off so I can get to him. They get the roof sawed off. Uh, we get the window net cut, cut away. I get to him. We take his helmet off. We've got an airway. We lift him out with a backboard, put him in an ambulance. Uh, he's still groggy, but coming to, uh, we put IV fluids in him. Uh, he's breathing on his own. They take him to the hospital. Um, and so, you know, I, I can't leave a racetrack. We're two hours away from us doing the Bush Series race. So we go on the air that night. Rusty apparently is in the hospital and he calls back to the racetrack and they patch him through to the TV trucks. And for, he says, he says, tell Dr. Punch, uh, number one, I'm okay. Thanks to him, I'm all right. But he looks terrible because they look at me. I had soot, I had black soot all over my face and flecks of paint in my hair where they'd sawed that roof off because I couldn't leave, you know. And uh, but uh, we got we got very lucky that day. And turns out, turns out it was a very valuable lesson Rusty learned. Just before going out to practice, Rusty's standing by his car eating a turkey or a ham sandwich. Or something. I think it was a ham sandwich. And and Richard Petty walked by and said, "Boy, you don't ever eat before you go on the racetrack." He said, "You tumble a roll." That ham sandwich will end up back in your in your windpipe, and you won't be able to breathe. And you're and you you're you're a goner. And Rusty said, Ah, you know, you know, you know, young drivers they know it all. And here's the king trying to explain to him. And sure enough, he tumbles and rolls. And so apparently, what happened was he had that ham sandwich, and it came back up and blocked his airway. And we happened to get lucky enough um, to get him breathing. And uh, and and Rusty ended up coming back the next day and ran the Cup race. If I'm not mistaken, he won the Cup race the next night. So. Um, uh, and uh, I remember in victory lane when he pulls into victory lane and I said, Hey, Rusty Wallace, the winner tonight, Rusty, great job. He looks at me and said, no, great job by you. <laughs> like that. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, I don't think people really knew people, you know, outside of, we didn't tell anybody on ESPN that night, what I had done or what went on. And we didn't broadcast it until much, much later. So people didn't understand what he meant by great job by you, but uh, it was my hands and God's will. But, uh, uh, we were very fortunate that night, and ironically, years later, Rusty and I would, would be standing shoulder to shoulder doing a broadcast for ESPN. We'd be covering NASCAR, um, and so and, and the the funny thing, the, one of the funniest parts of the whole night is an hour or two later when we got they knew Rusty was at the hospital, he was awake and alert, and things were okay. Um, I'm I'm you know Dale Earnhardt was going to run the Bush race that night, and he's get, getting ready to get in his car. He walks down to me. And as I'm standing there and he says, hey, Doc, you realize you realize 
you saved Rusty Wallace's life tonight. Do you realize that? And I like, shrug my shoulders. He says, he says to me, why would you do that? Why would anybody <laughs> do that? Like that? We start laughing, you know, because Rusty was one of his big nemesis in terms of trying to win races. And then he smiled because he and, he and Rusty were buddies. But uh, we got lucky that night uh, in a lot of ways. And it was God's will, as I said. And I just happened to be the one there. Well, I appreciate you sharing that story. And I know our listeners are really going to appreciate it. And, you know, you've been able to touch a lot of people's lives in your in your lifetime. You've touched mine and I know a lot of other people. And the stories you shared today really are great examples of unselfishness, making moments for people, relationships, and giving hope. And I think that's a message uh, today that we need to, to share with a lot of people at the time that we're in and all the things that each individual person that's listening today is going through in their life. So, uh, Doc, thanks for coming on today. It's, it's great to have a true winner as a guest. Great stories and a great message for this week. Well, Mike, thank you for having me. I cherish our friendship and the relationships and things I've seen from you and how you've helped me in my life over the years. And what a pleasure it was covering you as a, in college football because you coached uh, the kids the right way for the right reasons. And then likewise afterwards as an athletic director, as a leader at a university and now in private business. So it's an honor to be on uh, uh, game day walkthrough. And, and uh, I love and look forward to, to listening to these shows each and every Monday. Well, thanks again, Jerry, and thanks for joining us here today. And until next time, be positive and be a winner and have a great week.